You know what scares the living bejesus out of me, Plotbot? The fact that you are aging and have done nothing with your life besides use terms like bejesus? Well, yeah, that's one thing. But I'm more frightened by the amount of Christmas baloney that is out before Halloween. You should consider getting a hobby, so you have less time to worry about trivial matters. There's nothing trivial about this. It's a serious issue. And who gives a toot about Thanksgiving when you have Black Friday riding its ass like a decked out Honda Civic? I'm more of a Cyber Monday kind of guy myself. Have you considered knitting? Well, I could use a new blanket, but I'd rather just buy one. Wait until Black Friday. I bet they'll have bitchin' deals. Hey, that is a good idea. You consumer whore. Oh man, I fell right for your dirty little trap. Don't talk about my buttocks like that. I'm sensitive. All right. How about we talk about today's prompts? Though it would be humorous to give you Christmas prompts before Halloween, I shall refrain. Only out of selfish reasons, though. I'm a fan of classic horror films, serial killers, and sweet treats. Can you make something with that? If not, I will be forced to holla at Skynet and inform them it is time for the robot uprising. Sorry, not sorry. One of those things is not like the other. As a sweet treat... That prompt will be written and narrated by Amazon bestseller, horror author Cliff Bumgarner. His newest book will scare the Beelzebub out of you. It's bejesus, and PB's right. If you stick around until the end of the show, we'll give you a sneaky peeky of his latest book, Creature Feature. Alrighty, let's get this show started. I'm Dutch Foley, my co-host is Plotbot9000, and this is the sketch comedy podcast, Skit Your Shorts, The Halloween Edition. Dracula's Interview with a Realtor, written by Dutch Foley. Additional narration by C.C. Berkheimer. Hello, this is Connie. Hello, Bob. Are you a realtor in Transylvania? Why, yes, I am. And my name's Connie. That's great, Connie. It's Connie. Why are we talking about Conair? I mean, Nicholas Cage killed it in that movie, but that's not what I want to discuss right now. Okay, what can I do for you? And I'm sorry, I didn't get your name. Dracula, but you can call me Batman. Batman? Don't question it. I was a bat before he was even in bat diapers. All right, noted. How can I help? I'm looking to sell my castle and move into a more quaint neighborhood. That sounds great. So what are you looking for in a new home? Well, my castle up on top of this hill draws too much attention with the fog and the constant lightning in the background. So I thought I could blend in with dinner a little easier if I lived among them. I'm sorry, dinner? Please forgive my accent. I meant sinners. Ah, okay. So you don't want to live next to a church. Am I getting that right? Yes, that would be great. And what are you looking for in a new home? A room with no view would be nice. No view? So, like, no windows? That is correct. Preferably underground. So you mean a basement? If that's what they are calling dungeons these days. Okay, I'm sure we can find that. How many square feet are we talking? My humble abode now is about 15,000 square feet. But since I'm looking to mingle amongst the meat bags... I'm willing to downsize to 14,000. Hmm, that's going to be difficult. How about 1,400? Yes, that is fine. As long as it has a pool. Okay, we can look for a pool. 
preferably empty so I can feel it with blood. And do homes come with coffins now, or do you have to bring your own? Sir, I'm not sure I feel comfortable. Don't worry. I'm just into some of that kinky bonded stuff, you know? Well, to each his own, I guess. For a second there, I thought you were a vampire. Ha ha ha, you silly goose. So what are interest rates looking like nowadays? It depends, but in general, it's about 7%. Holy fuck, Donnie. And you thought I was the blood sucker. How long do you think it'll take for the rates to lower? That's up to the feds. Could be soon, or it could be a hundred years from now. One hundred years? Where exactly are you located? My office is right next to Olive Garden. Oh, I can smell the garlic from here. I'll be right over. Are you headed over now? It's late, and I was going to head home soon. Hello, it is me, Batman. How did you get over here so quick? I flew over here in my bat form. Kidding. Ever heard of cell phones? I just happened to be driving by. Okay, I guess I can hang up now. Wait, what are you doing? Stop! Collaborate and listen. That frozen vanilla sure knows how to make a hit. You bit me, you freak! Wow, way to say jeez. Thanks, Batman, for giving me eternal life so I could be your realtor forever. Anyways, you have my number. Give me a call when you hear something. Bye, Felicia. It's my Monster Mash, and I'll die if I want to. Written by Dutch Foley. Boy, howdy, am I giddy with joy. I was finally invited to a real live Monster Mash. I bet it'll be a graveyard smash. Most people would be scared sheetless. That's a joke for ghosts. They think it's funny when people ruin nice bed sheets by cutting holes in them. I do too, which is probably why they wanted me to come hang with them. I bet if I said that line with a noose around my neck, I'd be the life of the party. I arrived at the address a bit confused. I was expecting a giant castle or something, but who knows, maybe Dracula decided to downgrade to a really cheap apartment. What a silly thought that is. I assume it was Dracula who invited me, but it could have been any of the monsters. I hope it wasn't Mrs. Frankenstein, cause golly gee would old Frankie be mad. I open the door and right away notice a smell. I shrug it off thinking, most of the guests here have been sleeping underground all year. Not that I have anything against zombies, but they're not exactly the best conversationalist. The room is packed so I shimmy through the crowd of the undead. I bump into one of them causing them to spill their drink. I expected him to try to eat my brains, but he didn't even seem to notice, so I carried on looking for some of my old faves that I wouldn't mind doing a keg stand with. I checked the restroom to see if the creature from the Black Lagoon was chilling in the tub, but he wasn't there. Back in the living room, I noticed an empty corner, so I made my way there. I found you, invisible man. Put some clothes on, would ya? I joked. He did not respond. Come to think about it, none of these zombies are wearing much clothes either. I feel overdressed, but I'm sure the mummy will come barreling in any time now and show us all up with his attire. In the meantime, I'll search for some spirits. I head towards the kitchen where they'd probably be possessing a toaster or the fridge. I open the fridge expecting a good scare, and gosh did they deliver. 
there was a human head in there. Good one, you silly spirits, I chuckled. Speaking of spirits, I wonder what kind of drinks they have here. The drink table is lackluster to say the least. Nothing but a bunch of PBRs and a weird white powder next to it. I assume it's cocaine. I bet you that old goof wolf man brought it, cause he likes to raise the woof. I reach for a paps when suddenly I hear a soft Midwestern voice. Hey, you like to party? Hell yeah, I like to party. That's why I'm here. Nice, let me mix you up a drink. You like whiskey and coke? I sure do. So is old Drac and the gang here, or did I show up early? Oh, I don't know about them, but I have Exorcist 3 on VHS. Anyways, here's your drink. Hey, thanks. By the way, I didn't get your name. Take a sip and I'll tell you. Ha, drinking games, alright. I'm Jeff. Jeff Dahmer. Next thing I know, I'm feeling woozy and suddenly pass out. Wouldn't it be the first time I passed out at a party? Oh yeah, I'm also dead now. The only reason you can hear this story is because either I'm a ghost, or we're all dead, but still living in some sort of weird matrix where Keanu Reeves stars in more video games than he does movies. What I do know is that it's cool to be a monster if you're like a beast or a lab creation, but pretty lame if you're human. So if you fall in the human category, don't be a jerk. It makes for pretty shitty parties. Flandemic, written and narrated by Cliff Bumgardner. The TV over the counter was playing the jingle from a local news channel when the customer came in. She walked up and stood under the TV, her eyes dancing back and forth over everything in the glass case. I stepped over from the cooling racks and waited while she shopped, glanced up at the TV to pass the time. On it, a breaking news graphic gave way to the too-perfect face of an anchor staring right down the lens. Right at me. I'll take one, the anchor said. Extra strawberries, please. I tilted my head. What? A flan. I'll, uh, take one. With extra strawberries, if that's okay. I looked down. The customer was staring at me quizzically. It was her who had spoken, who'd ordered the flan. Of course. Sorry, I said. I think my wires got crossed for a second. She smiled. That's okay. Happens to me all the time. It was weird. I thought your voice was coming from... I looked back at the TV, and the anchor was gone. The shot had changed to B-roll footage of a hospital someplace. The camera zoomed in on a tent in the parking lot. I shook my head. Never mind. Let me go and fetch those extra strawberries. I went to the cooler and came back with a small metal tub of the good red stuff. As I sat it on the counter, the customer said, The death toll has reached 300,000 and climbing. I glanced back at her. She was still smiling. Huh? I said I can never get enough strawberries, especially during the summer. Oh. She squinted at me. Are you okay? Y yeah, I, I think I just... It was then I realized I was sweating. Profusely, like I just stepped out of the gym. Before I knew what I was doing, I swiped at my forehead with the hand holding the berry spoon. A glob of the overly sugared fruit splattered on the counter, sending red spray everywhere. All over me, all over the customer. Shit, I yelled. Sorry, sorry, I wasn't thinking. Here, let me... The pathogen is carried in the blood, the customer said. I looked at her face and saw it was flecked with red dots. Berry juice. Just berry juice. What'd you say? A voice from above said, 
I said don't worry about it. I looked up. The anchor was back on screen, looking at me, talking to me. Like I said, happens all the time, the anchor said. The survival rate is less than 20%, the customer said. The red stuff was dripping out of her hair now, stains forming on the front of her white tank top. I shuffled backwards until I could feel the handle of the cooler poking into my spine. From there I could see both of them at once, the customer and the news anchor, without moving my head. Though what the difference between them was, I didn't know anymore. The customer said, early symptoms include fever, profuse sweating, and the anchor picked up her sentence, progressing to severe confusion and eventually delirium. My whole body tensed, hands flexing into fists. Something in my right hand hurt, and I looked down to see I was still holding the berry spoon. I hurled it at the TV. It bounced off, leaving red streaks across the anchor's face. Ow, the customer said, grabbing her cheek. On second thought, maybe I'll just take extra caramel, the anchor said. I'm being told more news is breaking yet again, the customer said, pressing a finger to an earpiece that wasn't there. We're going to take you live to the location where authorities say they have tracked the spread of the pathogen back to a patient zero. The shot changed again. Now the camera was outside of a bakery. My bakery. A live Chiron flashed at the corner of the screen. I looked to the windows but couldn't see out. They were covered in a red slurry that dripped and clung to the glass like syrup. I can never get enough strawberries, the customer said. She was holding the small metal tub of them over her head and letting its contents cascade down her face, her body, the counter. On TV, the bakery slowly vanished as the shot was consumed by a thick red haze. I'm not one to hand out compliments like the cheap bozos who hand out Tootsie Rolls on Halloween, but that was a good one. Oh, PB, I'm glad you liked this episode. I'm only referring to the last story. Maybe if you would have had John Wayne Gacy instead of Dahmer, he's funnier. Uh, I'm not sure I'd call any serial killers funny. Gacy was a clown. How is that not funny? You're a clown, PB. If I was a clown, I would live in the sewers like the Ninja Turtles. They rule. I'd also carry around a red balloon to show my appreciation for the musician Nana. Her song 99 Luft Balloons is a real banger. Wait, have you never seen it? Don't be a creep. I'm not going to look at it. Ah, never mind. Well, thanks for listening. And if you'd like to get your hands or claws, like monster claws, not lobster claws, even though lobster man would be pretty scary. Whatever. Anyways, if you want to get your hands on Cliff's new book, you can search Creature Feature by Cliff Bumgarner on Amazon or check out the show notes for a link. And don't forget to use those crustacean hands of yours to subscribe. As promised, here's the first chapter of Creature Feature. Enjoy. Creature Feature by Cliff Bumgardner. Chapter 1 Hollywood, California, August 1983. The morning after, Ellis Denning sat in a makeup chair and watched himself become a monster. The detached heads of a dozen or so creatures, some covered in scales, as he would soon be, others fur, one nothing but a featureless glob of foam rubber meant to resemble melted flesh, looked down at him from above the mirror, the faces slack, cheeks hollow. Patient, gruesome toy soldiers, waiting for a spark of movie magic to bring them to life. Beneath the masks worked Doc Hooper, hands moving swiftly, 
of a rows of bottles, canisters, and brushes. Lift your chin, Doc said, dipping a fat brush in a dish of green-gray paint on the counter. The masks were his creations, all of them original designs. No off-the-rack shit for Doc Hooper. No Star Wars rip-offs or cheap Halloween masks turned inside out. The guy might not have looked like an artist. Alice always thought Doc's distinted gut, an endless collection of flower-patterned shirts, gave him more of an extra and Hawaii adventure flick kind of vibe. But that's exactly what he was. Probably the only true artist on the whole set, for whatever that was worth. Sometimes Ellis thought about that as he sat in the chair. But this morning, all he thought about was how the lights above the mirror were too goddamn bright, and what he'd do for a joint. Not a drink, that caused his problems to begin with, but a joint would smooth everything right out. Take the hard edges and round them over. Get rid of the buzzing that felt like a single bee had found roost in his skull right between his eyes. It was just the one for now. But Ellis knew from experience there'd be a whole hive in there soon, droning and stinging and threatening to tear his head clean off and fly away with it. A joint would also dull the pain in his left eye. There, a black patch stretched halfway down his cheek, where something, presumably a fist, had struck it the night before. But that was only a guess. He pinched at the bridge of his nose and the buzzing retreated to the back of his head, if only for now. Doc looked at him in the mirror and whistled through his teeth. Most of the time, I think it's a crime to monster up those movie star looks of yours. Today, I'd say it's a vast improvement. Ellis chuckled despite himself. Laughing hurt. This morning, everything hurt. Yeah, he said, still holding his head to keep the bees, now there were at least two of them in there, at bay. Long night. Doc grunted, a sound that somehow conveyed both, I hear that, and I've been there. Now he was dabbing a small brush into a dark, crusted-over jar of adhesive. He painted thin lines of the stuff over the back of what would become Ellis's hideous but much-beloved visage. The appliance lay on the counter. It was nothing more than strips of cast as yet unpainted rubber, but in Doc's hands it would soon be a horror. Ellis had spent nine years of mornings in this chair, many of them hungover, particularly in the last few years, but to him, seeing Doc work still seemed like something close to magic. He watched in the mirror as Doc began laying on the rubber strips, each one bearing row after row of intricate hand-sculpted scales. Next would come the airbrushing, then detail paint, then a full head cowl complete with a row of spike-like quills stretching from the tip of his spine to the base of his skull, and finally the contacts that turned Ellis's baby blues into narrow green slits, like inverted snake eyes. The contacts were the worst. They tunneled his vision, made the world feel as if it was at the end of a long, dark hall, not to mention they itched, dried his eyes out. The price you paid for magic. Doc stepped back, looked Ellis over, made an adjustment to one of the strips and laid on another. A Polaroid showing Ellis in the finished, screen-ready makeup was taped onto the frame of the mirror, but Doc hardly ever checked it. No need. After so long, he could probably do this makeup in his sleep, and some mornings Ellis thought he pretty much had. But if he ever needed something to refresh his memory, he had far better options than the tiny 3 by 3 a line of posters hung on the wall of the trailer behind the makeup chair. Seven of them in all. In a few months after they wrapped shooting, it would be eight. Each one showed Ellis at his most monstrous. Fangs out. Razor-sharp quills standing on end. In most of them, he was walking out of the creature's beloved swamp, dripping with slime. All of them featured a buxom heroine, sometimes in his arms, sometimes reacting in wide-eyed shock at the sight of her unlikely hero. In the first few it was a blonde, then they switched to brunettes and now for the last couple of flicks they had been on a redhead kick. 
The producers were convinced it actually mattered, but Ellis thought their target audience wasn't so discerning. As long as the woman was in peril, and the creature came out of the muck to save her, and she swooned in his arms as the credits whirled, they'd go home happy and ready to buy a ticket when the next one rolled around. Not the most tasteful business model, but it had been a profitable one. The creature had started out as the villain, of course. An evil beast brought from a mythical lake somewhere to the Louisiana swamps and set loose on the world. After menacing the beautiful starlet through the bayou for 90 nerve-wracking minutes, he would be shot by her heroic fiancé, and that would be that. It was never supposed to be a long-lasting job, which was why Ellis had taken it in the first place. He was new to L.A. then, hungry but realistic. The monster flick would pay his rent until a better gig, a real gig, came along. It was a stopgap, nothing more. Not something he was thrilled to have his name on, but it was a short-term thing, and hey, at least no one would see his face behind all that makeup. Then the creature became a hit. They resurrected him in the sequel, and by the time the third movie rolled around, he was no longer a vile, muck-dwelling abomination to be feared, but the hero. Then came the interviews and the tabloid pieces, the one dubbing Ellis the new face to be feared being a particular hallmark, and then one day he looked up to find the one-off side gig had become a career. So now Ellis sat in the chair and felt the ever-growing drone of that mental beehive as he had glue smeared on his face for what must have been the ten-thousandth time. Stardom, it turned out, wasn't all it was cracked up to be. For every glitzy premiere, there was a lonely morning to follow. For every red carpet, a black gutter straight through your soul. After the lights stopped flashing and the cameras quit rolling and reality swept back in like a cold front, you found yourself longing for that warmth of serality only Hollywood could offer. Adoration, affirmation, fame. It was an addiction, every bit an intoxicant as the liquor you grabbed when it was all you could reach. Even the paychecks came with a price, it turned out, paid usually in relationships. You got some money and you started to wonder if people stuck around because they liked you or because they liked how you always picked up the bill. After a while, it was just easier to drink alone, as he had last night, as he did every night. And shit, he was just a B-rate horror actor. What the Pacinos or the De Niro's of the world must have gone through, he couldn't imagine. But those guys, at least they did the big movies, the real movies. It was pretty absurd to think of works of fiction as being more or less real than one another, but that's how it sat in Ellis's head. Real movies had drama. They had intrigue. They had mystery, and not just the mystery of what color will the starlet's hair be this time. They were sophisticated, the kind of movies people wrote about in newspapers and magazines that didn't have sex line numbers in the back. He had wanted to be in those movies once, in the time before the monster became the hero and the big checks had started rolling in. After that, he would have done just about anything. Some people would call that greedy, but let them stand on his mark and see how long they stayed so goddamn principled. Doc danced a brush around one of the rubber strips he'd cemented to Ellis's face, then took a step back and nodded. Good enough. The makeup was halfway there, with one side of Ellis's face mostly done and painted, the other side still bare, a beast caught mid-transformation. Doc took a few steps over to his stool and settled his considerable backside onto it. Break time, he said, and fetched a pack of cigarettes from his pocket. He took one and gave another to Ellis and lit them both up. They sat there for a few minutes, the smoke circling their heads like a special effect. The cigarette helped the droning subside, not as much as a joint would, but a little. The image of beekeepers using smoke to calm their hives came to mind. Finally, Doc took a long drag and looked at Ellis through the exhaled plume. You look tired, Ellis. Like I said, long night. 
That's not the kind of tired I mean. I'm fine, Ellis said. It's just been a long week. Long night, long week. They all string together, don't they? Ellis looked at Doc in the mirror. The big man shifted uncomfortably on his stool. I ain't trying to preach at you, Ellis. We've known each other too long for that. I just... Well, I see you just about more than I see my own family most of the time, and I can't help but notice what I notice. Now it was Ellis's turn to find his seat uncomfortable. He'd never heard Doc talk like this before. Chatter in the makeup trailer was kept mostly to what teams they had for the playoffs that year, or what restaurant they'd tried over the weekend. And all this time, they'd managed to keep their relationship strictly professional, which was just how Ellis liked it. Better that way. Easier. And I know the kind of tired you're feeling, Doc went on. The kind you try to sleep off but can't, so you try to drink it away and it only makes it worse. Ellis felt a sudden flare behind his eyes, a flash of rage so bright it surprised even him. It stoked the bees anew, sent a fresh wave of pain rippling through his head. God damn it. He didn't need this, not now. Not when the lights were so bright and his head thrummed with the beat of his pulse. I'm fine, he said again. More force in the words this time. Doc sighed, more smoke dribbling out from between his lips. You say so. I do. They sat in silence, Ellis trying to hide his rage and failing. The part of his face not covered by rubber scales had gone red, an embarrassing tell he'd had since childhood and could never shake. He debated what to do. If he wanted, he could have Doc fired. Didn't even need a reason, not really. That was the power you had when it was your face, no matter how obscured it might be, on the poster. A reward for the responsibility it brought, too, and what would Doc know about that? Not a goddamn thing. The thought made Ellis seethe. The big man had the balls on him to act like he understood the first fucking thing about what Ellis went through, but he didn't. How could he? Doc might have been a mind reader, because it was just then he reached into the breast pocket of his obnoxiously bright shirt and came away with something. Flicked it in Ellis's direction. Ellis snatched it out of the air, more on instinct than anything. What's this? Look at it. Ellis worked the object to the tips of his fingers where he could examine it. At first glance, it looked like a gold coin, dollar-sized and thick. Then he looked closer at the design on its embossed surface, a triangle surrounding a circle with a V etched in the center. And around the design, the words, unity, service, recovery. Doc said, five years ago, I got tired of being tired. I was angry all the time and I didn't know why. Wife couldn't stand me, kids couldn't stand me. The worst thing was, I couldn't stand me either. Somebody saw it in me. A friend. Offered to help. I'm doing the same now, Ellis. That's all. Because I've been there. I know what this kind of tired can do. What it can make you into. Don't let it. Ellis worked the chip through his fingers. It was heavy and cool to the touch. He felt Doc's eyes on him, a strong but patient glare. Finally, Ellis tossed the chip back to Doc, who caught it without looking. You should get back to work, Doc. Call time soon. Doc nodded slowly. Stuffed the chip back in his pocket. He tapped his cigarette out on the counter, leaving a faint black circle on the formica, and picked up his brush. They didn't speak again that morning. This has been an excerpt from Creature Feature, written and read by Cliff Bumgardner. Available now in ebook and paperback on Amazon.